guys are doing, right? Drinking your eggnog, yeah, right? <laughs> good to have you here. It's good to have you here. Ah, oh, good to have all of you here. Your smiling faces, hello. It's wonderful to have you here. Those of you that ventured out in the rain, appreciate it. Uh, you know, we uh, tend to melt here in California when it rains, but uh, we do okay. We do okay. So this year, we are starting off on a whole new theme. And let's see, uh, today I start my third year with you as your senior minister. I can't believe it's been three years. That's amazing to me that I've already been here two years, and this is the third year. And I'm starting my fifth year as a minister. And uh, every year since I've graduated, I've done the theme from home office. I used to do it at Wednesday nights in, in San Diego, and I've done it here the two years I've been here. But you know what? We're not going to do it this year. We're doing something completely different. Reverend Meg and I have come together. We've put together some wonderful uh, monthly topics that we think are going to be really pertinent for you and, and for us as we travel through this year together. And we'll pull in some of the stuff that they're doing from home office, but we won't be doing it every week. But we are doing January, which most of our centers do in January, as we go back to basics. We go back to the basics. And uh, what that means is we look at the first... Um, the introduction, actually, to the Science of Mind book, the Science of Mind textbook, it's not even a chapter. It's just the introduction, and it's only 35 pages long. And I'll tell you, if we could master those 35 pages, we would be doing pretty good. We would do, be doing really, really well. So each week in January, we break down one of those sections, and we talk about it, and, and we're going to do that uh, uh, today. Um, we have had an amazing year last year. Um, and on the end of this month, the end of January, we'll have our annual meeting where we're going to share with you all the amazing things that happened and all the wonderful things that we're looking forward to this year. So I'm just planting that seed now. It's the last Sunday of this month. We invite you all to come and hear what's going on. Now, the front of the Science of Mind textbook, this is our Science of Mind textbook. It was written in 1926 and revised in 1937 to the edition that we use today. And in the front of the Science of Mind textbook, depending on what edition you have, you will have this uh, little um, guide to how to read the Science of Mind book in a year. It was written by Reverend Edward Vion, and it is in the front of the book. He did say, Edward said that uh, the most recent printing they omitted it by accident, but it's going to be back in there. So if you have it in your book, wonderful. If you don't, I've made copies for you, and they're on the glass table. I invite you to take one home. Even though we're on the sixth day of the year, you can catch up. It's only a paragraph or two a day, and sometimes there's a meditation in there. Or you can just start on the sixth and go to the sixth of 2020. But it's how you can read through your Science of Mind textbook in one year. So it's a wonderful little guide to have, and I just point that out to you. And, and it folds up to become this this cute little bookmark so you can just keep it in your book and read along. So we've got that going on and uh, the opening, the very, very opening, the very first page of uh, the text, Ernest Holmes, who's the founder of Science of Mind, he writes this, these lessons are dedicated to that truth which frees man from himself and sets him on the pathway of a new experience, which enables him to see through the mist to the eternal and changeless reality. And uh, I think those are some beautiful words to start with. 
You know, my home book, the book that I have at home, this is not it, but the one that I use and studied with is the 50th anniversary edition of the Science of Mind textbook. And in the foreword of that book, Ed, um, Dr. Bill Hornaday has written the foreword to that book. This one is Gene um, Houston. I think the most current one has Dr. Ken Gordon, but there's a different foreword each time uh, the book has been reprinted. And... Uh, in my copy, in the one that I have, Dr. Hornerday, Bill, Reverend Bill, they called him, he was the first minister of Founders Church in Los Angeles. Now, Founders Church is an amazing building. It's this great, round, beautiful, white building. If you've never been there, I encourage you, if you go to L.A., to go see it. The whole bottom floor has got sort of a history of new thought. It's, it's wonderful. But it was the one church that Ernest Holmes, our founder, had a hand in building. When his wife Hazel passed in 1957, it really became evident that Ernest was passing the torch, that he was ready to pass the torch on to those that would carry this message on through the years. And now last year, we just celebrated 100 years of science of mind. So we've, this movement has been around, this science of mind movement. Of course, new thought goes way before that, but, but Ernest's teaching and this, the science of mind has been around for 100 years. So in 1957, he started to think and plan to build a church. And uh, he would be very involved in every step of building it. He gave the first talk there, Ernest Holmes, on January 3rd of 1960, which is the same year that Ernest died. He died later that year. And he appointed the first senior minister to Founders Church, which was Dr. Bill Hornaday. And Dr. Bill is uh, a fascinating man. He wrote the book, The Aladdin's Lamp. We're gonna talk about that a little bit later today. But he also, Ernest sent him to study with Carl Jung, and Ernest sent him to study with Albert Schweitzer. I mean, those are pretty impressive people to study with. You know, I mean, our movement is really intertwined with some very impressive minds of our time. And Bill Hornaday, he um, took over the radio show when Ernest stopped doing the radio show, he passed that on to Bill. Reverend Bill continued it for, very, for, for, for a very long time. I believe he was the minister at Founders until 1992. The same week he died, he gave the Sunday talks. And Arthur Chung has become the minister after that and is still the minister there today. And uh, it's just amazing history that we have, and I'm going to tell you a couple stories about him later. And I hope I don't bore you when I talk about our history, because I just love the history of the New Thought Movement. I love the history of our teaching. I love the history of science of mind. Uh, I really believe that we are uh, the leading edge the leading edge in this day and age of thinking. You know, as we move forward and we move out into the world and we carry this message and we carry these tools, which in many ways have become very mainstream from 100 years ago. I mean, Oprah Winfrey's talking about it. Wayne Dyer's talking about it, right? There's people that are carrying this message in a different way, but it's still so relevant to us today in our lives. So if you get up to L.A., go check out Founders Church. It's a very, very beautiful place to see, and you can still feel the energy there. We got to go in ministerial school. We got to go stand at the podium where Ernest talked, and they have this massive organ, and it's just its an amazing place. At one point, they had 7,000 people there on a Sunday. Now it's not that large anymore, but it, it was a magnificent place and still is. But Dr. Hornaday, in the beginning of the book, in the foreword, he says what I think is our elevator speech. You know, they say, what's your elevator speech for science? of mine, how would you explain it to somebody that you just had time to tell them as you're going up the elevator, right? And he says, and he quotes Ernest Holmes, science of mind is a correlation of the laws of science, the opinions of philosophy, and the revelation of religion. 
And those were the three veins, if you will, that Ernest studied. He studied philosophy, he studied the sciences, and he studied the major religions of the world. And he found the threads that were common to all of them, and he, he put it together into what we now call the science of mind. He, uh, in his words, he says, the study of the science of mind is a study of first cause, spirit, mind, or that invisible essence, that ultimate stuff and intelligence from which everything comes, the power back of creation, the thing itself. And that's what we're going to talk about today, the thing itself, the thing itself. So, does it feel weird to call God a thing? You know, I was thinking about this, I was writing, you know, this thing, it's like, you know, the creature from the Black Lagoon or something, right? This thing, what is this thing? You know, and, and, and I, I think for some of us and those of us that were maybe raised with a particular God in mind, that it might almost seem sacrilegious, you know, to call God a thing. You know, but what I really love about it is it allows me to separate my old ideas to look at a new way to look at spirit in a new way. You know, it allows me to separate that idea. In fact, in ministerial school, we were charged with doing an entire talk and not saying the word God. Because for many people, God brings up ideas of some old archaic thing that we were raised with or some thing that our parents told them that isn't really the truth for us. You know, that big old guy up in the heaven that judges us, right? And that's not what we're talking about. The thing that we're talking about, the thing itself is a creative intelligence. It's divine intelligence. It's, it's first cause, it's spirit, it's source, it's Allah, Manuel. It's whatever name we call it, it is all that thing that is the thing itself. The thing back of everything that we see, the thing back of everything that is unseen. The thing itself is the thing that keeps the planets in their orbit, that keeps the sun in its rotation, that heals the cut on our skin. The thing itself, that energy, that essence, that thing that is creative, it is intelligent, it is good. You know, Ernest Holmes says that God and love are synonymous, right? Good God, love. Those are the three words that I like to use. You know, I've shared with you before that my entry into sort of recovering from the old God stuff, if you will, was Native American spirituality, where the great spirit, you know, because that allowed me to just think outside the box. What was this great spirit? What was this thing? What was this thing that when we stand on the beach and we look and we are in awe of the beauty? What is the thing that made it? How did it get there? Right? The thing itself, this divine essence, the Science of Mind textbook, that subtle something that runs through all things and which we call the thing itself, that energy without which nothing could be energized, that life without which nothing can live, that power without which nothing can move, and the spirit which nothing can be is God. It is only as we live in conscious union with the Spirit and consciously let it work through us that we really live. And I think that was highlighted in the passage that Denise read this morning from the Science of Mind uh, magazine. That we must be in conscious union with this thing. Right? It's always there. It's always operating. It's always there. But if we're going through life not recognizing the fact that it's there or not opening to the idea that we are one with it, 
We're going to miss the whole, the whole journey, the whole ride. Thought creates a mold in the subjective in which the idea is accepted and poured and set power in motion in accordance with the thought. I love that idea when we think about that. You know, Denise was reading about how thought is a thing, right? And how does that work? Well, we've got the thing itself, and we've got this energy, and we've got this essence. Well, how do we work with it, right? And we're going to talk more about those in the next couple of weeks in January. But this quote from this part of the book, thought creates a mold in the subjective field. So can you imagine that? Your thought is creating a mold. I'm thinking I want a million dollars. Let's go for it, right? I'm thinking I want a million dollars. And so we create this mold that is lots of money. The mold is lots of money. Lots of, lots of good, lots of abundance. And the idea is accepted by this subjective field and is poured into this mold, is poured into this mold by our thought. The power of our thought has created that. Now, that's the seed that's planted, that Kat talked about, that's under the snow when it's there, when we've planted that seed. Now, our job is to not go back and dig it up right? Our job is to let it be there. We've poured this thought, we've poured this energy into the mold of thought. Ignorance of this excuses no one from its effects, for we are dealing with law and not whimsical fancy. Again, Ernest Holmes. So we can say, well, I didn't know that every time I thought, poor me, poor me, poor me, I was creating the mold of poor me, poor me, poor me. It doesn't matter whether you know it or not. It's still happening, because the law is the law is the law. We can't change it. There's a lovely little story. It's the legend of the three trees, and this goes back to Founders Church. And some of you may have heard this story, but Dr. Bill writes about this in his book, The Aladdin Lamp, the legend of the three trees. So the senior minister's officer, office at Founders looks through a glass, big glass window into this small meditation garden. It's about 10 by 10. And before the opening of the church, um, they had planted it, and they put three little trees in there and shrubs and other things. And uh, Dr. Ernest Holmes and, and Dr. Bill were sitting in the office planning the dedication for founders. And the gardener came walking through the office with his shovel, and he said, excuse me, I need to go out to the garden and um, get rid of the dead tree. And Ernest got up right then and left the middle of the conversation, and he followed the gardener outside, and he said, what dead tree? And he said, well, this one in the middle, no matter what we do, it won't grow. Its leaves had fallen off, and it was looking like it was dying. So Ernest decided he would have a talk with this tree. So he talked to the tree, and he said, now look, tree, what better place could you be planted than a meditation garden? I mean, this is a pretty good place to be. I mean, you'll be cared for, you'll be loved, you'll be looked at. People want to see you. You're welcome here. I invite you to put your roots here and be here. Well, don't you know, that tree thrived. That tree thrived. It grew, and it grew, and it grew with the other trees. Now, about 45 years later, fast forward, these were three ficuses trees in a 10 by 10 space. So, right, they grew. They're way too big for the meditation garden. So the board at Founders had a dilemma. They had to move Ernest Holmes' tree, right? And uh, they hired the best arborists they could to come and um, dig up the trees and move them and try to keep them. And, and uh, a couple years later, this conversation went on in the board meeting as they were meeting in the minister's office. And uh, they're saying, why do we keep getting the bill for this arborist? And they say, well, no matter what we do, that tree keeps growing back. Right? And they said, that's the one Ernest prayed over. 
right? So it kept growing and it kept growing no matter what they could do. Um, you know, the power of the word, the power of the word, you know? And those are just one of the stories that we know of what we can do. I mean, you all have done the experiment, right, of talking to your plants, right? And seeing how beautiful they grow, right? I think we had that slide a while back of the, the plant that was bullied, right? And we saw that it was just uh, d dying. The divine plan is one of freedom. Bondage is not God-ordained. Freedom is the birthright of every living soul. I think it's one of the big lines in the very beginning of the book, too, that I think is really important for us to recognize that we are meant to be happy. We are meant to be joyous. We are meant to be free. Anyone who tells you that this life is a veil of tears or that you must suffer or that God is testing you is incorrect. <laughs> right? That is not the truth. God is good and only good, according to our science of mind teaching. Life is meant to be lived in joy and happiness and abundance and prosperity. We are meant to have uh, fulfilling relationships. We are meant to have fulfilling work. We are meant to bring forth all the spirit that is within us. Each one of us are individualized expressions of this thing, of this thing itself. And as it moves through us, we are able to express it in the world. I mean, God needs us to move into this world. We are literally the hands and feet of the divine. We do the work. We do God's work in the world as we move through this, this, this day and this week and this month. We bring forth that. You know, for some of us, it can be a hard uh, idea to, to grasp and to swallow and to really comprehend that if we are not experiencing this happy, joyous life, that we are the one that is in the way, right? That we are the one that is blocking our good. And, and that's sometimes hard. That's sometimes hard to say, well, what do you mean? I'm a victim here, right? That's our famous line. I'm a victim here. You know, but the truth is, is if we allow ourselves to align with the thing itself, with that which is back of all things, that if we are an open channel for that divine flow to move through us, amazing things will happen in our life. Amazing things. The inherent nature of man is forever seeking to express itself in terms of freedom. We do well to listen to this inner voice, for it tells us of a life wonderful in its scope, of a love beyond our fondest dreams, of a freedom which the soul craves. You know? And I think each one of us could say, yes, that's the life I want. That's what I want. You know, how do I achieve that? Tell me, what do I need to do? You know, what we need to do is we need to learn the principles that are in this book. We need to practice the principles that are in this book. You know, we need to learn the laws that Dr. Hornaday was talking about, those scientific laws that work in nature and they work in our life. They work everywhere. It can't be a law if it only works sometimes. Right? The law is the law. To learn how to think is to learn how to live. One of my favorite Ernest quotes. To learn how to think is to learn how to live. Man, by thinking, can bring into his experience whatsoever he desires if he thinks correctly and becomes a living embodiment of his thoughts. A living embodiment of his thoughts. Simple but not easy, right? We have to work at it. We have to stay focused. We have to spend our time in our spiritual practice. We need to 
monitor the thoughts that are passing through the hallways of our mind. We do not create the laws and principles, but discover and make use of them. Again, earnest. So the thing itself is the power by which we live. It's the power by which we live. It's the power that breathes us. We don't breathe ourselves. We can learn to use this power in our life to create all that we desire. God bless you. I'm so glad that you're here today. Come back next week and we'll talk more about how it works. Glad you're here today. Cat and Larry.